0: I like this American proverb, be thankful if your life is a little harder than you like, a knife can't be sharpened on a piece of velvet. We've entered into that season of the year when rightly so, we focus on the good things in our lives, and yet who can't be thankful for the good things in our lives? That's pretty easy. That that takes no challenge whatsoever. It's when you are thankful for everything that happens in your life, for the good and the bad, the tough and the easy. That's when Thanksgiving takes on its greatest meaning. When it's learning to express for God our thanks and gratitude, no matter what comes our way, then Thanksgiving really is beginning to fill our hearts. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think you could survive in a space confined to a space the size of a volleyball court? Oh, uh, and could you do it for 66 days? Uh, and, and, and what if you were exposed to the elements between September and November during that 66 days? Oh, oh yeah. What if you had to share that volleyball court space with 102 other people? that you were a part of a crowd of 102. Could you do that for 66 days, expose the elements? And you say, no, I, I don't think I would enjoy that. Well, I don't think I would either. But I'm sure glad that the pilgrims on the Mayflower stayed the course. As you can imagine, it was a disease-ridden journey. There was one death on the journey. There was one birth on the journey. And so there were 102 that landed on the coast in Massachusetts during a frightfully cold November. During that first winter, only 53 Survived. There were some 50 graves that dotted the hillside. And out of the 53 that survived, there were only four women that survived. Now, if it had been me, I would have loaded back up on the Mayflower come spring and set sail for England, sailing as fast as I could. But those who died did not die in vain. Those who remained did so in such a way that they set a course. They set a tone. A remarkable faith that helped bring this nation into being. And after the first harvest in this new land, yes, they prayed, but they also partied. They had much to celebrate. It was a land that was abundant, and best of all, they had found spiritual liberty. You see, that very first Thanksgiving was a three-day celebration of their first harvest in the early autumn of 1621. And while they reflected on their difficulties for sure, they spent more, reti- more time rejoicing in their blessings the pilgrims had no idea that they were setting a precedent for generations to come they were simply marking their first year in the new world with deep gratitude to god life wasn't a piece of velvet then life isn't a piece of velvet now so as you prepare to celebrate this grand american holiday remember to do so in the spirit of that first thanksgiving in everything give thanks To God. The American pilgrims were not the only ones to mark such monumental occasions. There is a great story in 1 Samuel when the Israelites marked a moment in time for which they were deeply thankful as well. Here's the setting it is some 1,100 years before the birth of Christ, and for the previous 20 years, The Israelites had fallen away from their worship of God. They had neglected serving God and honoring him. And they had instead embraced the idolatry of the neighboring nations around them. The Israelite nation was in serious decline. Samuel, the young man Samuel, had at this point in time reached the age of 33 and realized the time was right for a new beginning. So he began to preach and to call the nation to repentance and change. The Israelites gathered at a place called Mizpah, and Samuel preached. Boy, would I have loved to have heard his sermon. Because when you can preach and change the hearts of an entire nation, that is a powerful word. And Samuel was giving to the people what God had entrusted to him, his word, and it was a time of great renewal. The people threw away their idolatry. And they returned to the Lord. Superman had Lex Luthor. Indiana Jones had the Nazis. Luke Skywalker had Darth Vader. And the Israelites had the Philistines. A constant thorn in their side. So when the Israelites gathered at Mizpah and began to throw away their idols, the idols that they had borrowed from the Philistines, why, that was tantamount to a declaration of war. And so the Philistines gathered their troops together just outside of Mizpah. And Samuel promised to intercede for the people as the battle raged on. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 7. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Wow. Wow. In 1621, the pilgrims expressed their thankfulness in a celebration and feast. In 1100 BC, the Hebrew people expressed their thankfulness with a stone marker that would serve for generations to come that marked the spot and the time when God intervened and rescued his people and gave them the victory over their enemy. Now, when we hear the word Ebenezer, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Scrooge, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard the word Ebenezer in a context other than Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. That's how we hear it all the time. But long before that is this awesome story. This monument, this Ebenezer, the word Ebenezer means stone of help, was erected and quite meaningful to God's people. What I didn't tell you Because of their lack of following God, because of their faithlessness in the previous 20 years before this moment in time, as the Philistines gathered to go into battle, the, the hearts of the Israelites melted within them, and they were absolutely terrified. They didn't know if God would come to their rescue. And so Samuel promised to pray as they fought. This Ebenezer stone, this this monument that was erected out in the middle of the desert between Mizpah and Shin, this monument said God can be trusted. God is, is willing and able and will keep his promises. That stone stood for generations as a reminder of the trustworthy nature of our God. When we put him first, When we follow God's lead despite our limited vision, when we believe that God is greater than the overwhelming odds around us, then we are demonstrating the same kind of trust and gratitude. God has promised to be faithful. He has asked us to be trusting and grateful. Now, we haven't erected here this morning an Ebenezer stone. There's no place in this building that we could do such a thing. But undoubtedly, God has helped us in immeasurable ways. That God is our help, has sustained us through this time. So this morning, we're going to create an Ebenezer wall, a wall of gratitude for all of God's help and hope and blessings. So on the post-it note that you have here in your hand, take a moment and write something that you are thankful for. Now, I'm hopeful that you, like most everybody in this room, are going to say, wait a minute, this is far too small to write all the things I am thankful for. That's not the point. We know that. And if you have trouble finding anything to put on that card, we need to talk after the service. So what I want you to do is pick out something that's on your mind for which you are thankful to God. Write it on that note. And... uh, in just a couple minutes, Tim is going to come and lead us in a couple very familiar songs that we're singing. And as, you're, as, as we sing, you're going to write, and then we're going to post it on these sidewalls of the stairwell over here. And we got plenty of time, so take your time, all right, uh, through these two songs. But this will be our gratitude wall. This will be our Ebenezer Stone. In the 260-year-old hymn, Come Thou Fount, the second verse reads like this. Here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I've come. Or in other words, I lift my monument of gratitude to God whose help has sustained me to this moment in my life. So this morning we're going to raise our Ebenezer, our wall of gratitude to God whose help has sustained us to this very moment. And parents... And grandparents, I want you to know that our Sherwood kids are doing the same thing downstairs. They are writing their thanks on notes and posting it as well. So after the service is over today, what a great opportunity for you to compare notes. What did you put on yours? And tell them what you put on the one that you posted on this wall. Great opportunity to talk about thankful hearts. So during these two songs, write your note. Post it on the wall. Let us raise our Ebenezer to God. In this series, Generosity Reimagined, we've been talking a lot about things like debt and greed and how the rich farmer tore down his perfectly good barns to build one gigantic barn to store all of his abundance of crops and to make himself look so important instead of sharing that with others who would need. And we've talked about the lack of generosity of the rich young man who saw his wealth as more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, well, we've talked about the value of contentment and settling for less, and we've talked about how it is important to honor God. And, and the one thing we haven't talked about yet or explored very much is the, the act of giving back to God. Now, you may be thinking, you know, what does this have to do with the first part of the sermon? Okay. Well, just grab the pew and hang on. We'll get there. Trust me, it really does tie together. It's perfectly tied together. You may also be thinking, well, why does God want us to give in the first place? I mean, after all, if he's God, he's got more than he needs already. Doesn't the Bible say God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? I'm just happy if I've got a pound of ground beef in the refrigerator. Why do I have to give back to God who has it all? I think it's a good question. I think it's a very fair question. I think it's a question for which we need to find a good answer. So we're just going to take a casual look at some passages and some perspectives from Scripture this morning on that very subject. Now, I don't know how in American culture we got pigs and money mixed up, but we did. Are you aware how tied in pigs and money are together? As in a piggy bank as in bringing home the bacon, as in living high on the hog, hog, yes. Uncle Sam is often guilty of what? Pork barrel spending. And even though you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, money and pigs seem to go together. Do you know where we get our English word steward from? It actually comes from two other words, sty and ward. In other words, a keeper of a pig pen, a pigsty. How that happened, I don't know. Now, obviously, the Hebrew word for steward has nothing to do with pig farming. That just wouldn't be kosher. But pigs (laughs) are no pigs. The subject of financial stewardship and giving was incredibly important to Jesus. In the scriptures, there are 24 verses on communion. 77 verses on baptism, 246 verses mention faith, but there are 558 devoted to money, riches, wealth, possessions, goods, and inheritance, and how we use them. Jeff Fall, a, a, a good preacher and a good friend of mine, uh, shares this bit of wisdom that he's kept through the years. He, Jeff writes, he says, there are three subjects that Jesus spoke most often about And they were wealth, hypocrisy, and the kingdom of God. Three of the Ten Commandments deal with wealth. Sixteen of the 38 parables in the New Testament deal with money and stewardship. One verse out of every six in the Gospels deals with stewardship and giving. The New Testament devotes 16 times as much scripture to what Jesus taught about stewardship as to what he taught about baptism, and 32 times as much as what he taught about the Lord's Supper. God knows that the welfare and destiny of a man's soul is reflected in his attitude toward money. And while giving and stewardship are sometimes, folks, used interchangeably, they are not. Giving is just that it's what we give, it's the gift. Stewardship is on the other side of the coin. It is what we keep and how we use it. And God is concerned about both. So again, why does God ask us to give? Here's the tie. Here's what I think is the simplest and best answer possible. It is a matter of thankfulness and trust. The very two things we talked about in the first part of the sermon, this spirit of thanksgiving and trusting God even when you cannot see where He's leading. If we are truly grateful for everything that God has done for us, is it a burden to be thankful and to express that thanks? And if we truly live as if God owns everything, and that's one of our values here, live as if God owns everything, then my gift back to him shouldn't even feel like a gift. If it's God's to begin with, I'm just returning to him what is rightfully his. If you loan me a book to read, a tool to use on a project, or a game to enjoy with my family, and I read the book, I use the tool, and we play the game, should I feel any kind of reluctance or resentment to give you back your book or your tool or your game? Should I do so begrudgingly? Well, of course not. It's your book. It's your tool. It's your game. I have no right to hang on to what is yours. And and here's what God does. God gives me 10 books and says, pick out the nine you like best and give me back one. God gives me 10 wrenches. Pick out the nine you think you'll use best and and give me back one. Wow. Wow what a deal if God owns everything if God has entrusted to me what he owns if God has blessed my life with the things that I have then then shouldn't it be a joy to honor him by giving back Okay, now a tithe is 10%. And I know, okay, hear, me, hear me say this clearly. I know that a tithe is an Old Testament principle. That's taught in the Old Testament. It's not necessarily taught in the New Testament, but what is taught in the New Testament is generosity. Above and beyond. So I, I've got this impression that I don't, th- I don't think that God expects less of us on this side of the cross who can look back and see at the awesome, incredible price that God paid for our souls at the cross and say, well, you, you, you don't you know, I, I really don't expect as much out of you as what I expected out of my Old Testament people. I, I don't get that. And you say, well, but I've, I've never really given much back to God. And you're asking me to give 10%. Oh, I wouldn't start there. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good mm, step of faith to start giving 10%. Start little and work your way there. Can, can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? I learned the principle of tithing when I had a paper route as a kid. And the only reason I share that with you is because I want you to know I've never seen God fail to keep His promise. I've never seen it. In all these years throughout my life, I've never seen God fail to keep His promise. You know, what promise are you talking about? This one. that comes from Matthew chapter 6 in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus has to say beginning in verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Why, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? By the way, worries will detract moments from your life, but they won't add moments to your life. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and here's the promise. And he will give you everything you need. Wow, it is a powerful promise. Now there are a whole lot of things in this text that we could unpack this morning, but let me just make a couple of observations regarding our thankfulness and our trust in God. Trusting God I believe begins with setting our priorities right. God says, put me first and I'll take care of your needs. God doesn't say, I'll I'll just make you wealthy. God doesn't say, I'll make you healthy. God doesn't say, I'll take care of your needs. You're gonna have what you need. Now that's difficult for us to process. Maybe it isn't for you, it is for me. And, and, And here's why. I can't see God. I can't hear God. And I don't have any idea how God when God and where God is going to meet my needs. And so from a pure human standpoint of view, that doesn't compute very well. But folks, think of it like this. If you could see God, if you could hear God, if you knew where, when, and how God was going to provide for all your needs, it wouldn't require trust. Trust. There's no trust in it. There's really no thanksgiving in it. You see, I believe the purest form of giving grows out of our attitude of thankfulness and trust in the promise of God. That even though you can't see how he's going to do it, you believe that he's going to do it. How does our giving reflect our gratitude? You see, when I resist giving to God or when I give but I do so grudgingly, it's not a money matter. It's a trust matter. And it's a gratitude matter. You see, I, when I, when I re, refuse to give, I'm basically saying that God isn't trustworthy to keep his promise. I'm basically saying I can't rely on him. I can't depend on him. Why, the bank of heaven isn't nearly as secure as the bank in which I have my, lo, my, my local bank in which I have my checking account. I find it incredibly ironic That we are often reluctant to give our money that is imprinted with the words, In God we trust. And most of us, if Uncle Sam said, We're going to take that motto off of of our currency and off our coinage, most of us would just be incensed that he would do such a thing as that. And yet we don't give as if we believe the motto is true. Seek him first and the rest will fall into place. It's about the one who owns it all. Antonio Machado said, Only a fool thinks price and value are the same. How true. Some things are incredibly costly, but over a period of time, they don't retain any value whatsoever. Giving back to God isn't costly. But, oh, the value. The value is eternal. Jesus goes on to remind us that the opposite of trust, then, is worry. Don't worry about the necessities, food and clothes and shelter. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are important things. I do not purposely miss a meal, okay? Uh, I'm concerned about shelter. You walk outside today, I want someplace warm to go home to, all right? You know, I I want clothes on my back. These are not small things. These are important things. And God is saying, don't don't, don't worry about those things. Literally, God is saying, I've got your back on this. I'm going to take care of you. You just trust me. You be grateful. You put me first. I've got your back. Rick Warren wrote, he said, worry is the warning light that God is really not first in my life at this particular moment. To illustrate his point, Jesus makes reference to a couple simple parts of nature. He talks about the birds and he talks about the flowers. and say they don't worry about anything and I'm taking care of them. And then he adds this, and you're a whole lot more important to me than the birds or the flowers. So if the birds don't worry, why should I? Elton Trueblood wrote, he said, faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. That's what God wants from us, to put him first without reservation, to trust him that he is able to keep his promise. Now I've learned through the years that everybody handles worry a little bit differently. Uh, Some people, when they are extremely worried, tend to sleep more. Others can't sleep at all except in church. Some stop eating. Others go on a feeding frenzy. Some withdraw quietly and others become incredibly verbose. Some sit and do nothing because they can't focus and some people become compulsively active. Here's what I've learned about worry. The natural outgrowth of worry is not healthy on either side of the coin. That's what worry does to us. And the Bible is clear. Worry is a dangerous thing. Proverbs twelve twenty five says, Worry weighs a person down and encouraging word cheers a person up. Ecclesiastes 11.10, so refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. 1 Peter 5.7, give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So stop worrying and start trusting. Elisha Otis did not invent the elevator. He did invent the elevator braking system. Now, in that day and time, buildings were limited to a certain height, maybe five, six stories at the most, because elevators, if the cable or the rope broke, it would come crashing down. There was nothing to prevent it from, from coming crashing down, and so you couldn't put it any higher than that, or, or there'd be a lot of injury with regard to, uh, to elevators. So Elisha Otis came up with this idea of, a, of an automatic braking system if the cable breaks, but boy, it was a hard sell. It wasn't until 1854 at the Crystal Palace Exhibition, which was kind of the forerunner of, of the World's Fair, which we don't have those today, but that was, that was a big time. And there was a huge crowd, this was in, in New York, and there was a huge crowd gathered around his display. He had built up an, an elevator so that it was visible, and he got on the elevator up above where everybody could see, and he had his assistant cut the rope. And the elevator started cascading down the track, and within a moment, the braking system uh, activated and stopped the elevator. That moment, when he put his life on the line, trusting that his invention would actually stop the elevator, was the day he started selling elevators to the American people. Today, New York City alone has about 70,000 elevators. And it is estimated that the equivalent of the world's population travels on an Otis elevator, escalator, or moving walkway every three days. It was his implicit trust that turned the corner. So what's the solution spiritually? Again, listen to the words of Jesus. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness first... And all these things will be given to you as well. It's a matter of gratitude and trust. The word kingdom appears over 150 times in Scripture. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And a king kingdom, this one without borders, of course, denotes a couple things. It denotes a king who cares and provides for his subjects. And it denotes subjects whose full allegiance belongs to the king. It's a pretty good word, really, to describe our relationship with God. God cares and provides. We owe Him our faithfulness, our allegiance, and our gratitude. Our chief aim in life is to be faithful to follow the King. So what are you doing today? What are you doing today that genuinely expresses your gratitude for the King? How are you living in such a way that your life expresses implicit trust In the promise of the king. Do you believe? Do you really believe that when you seek him first, he's got your back? That's the real question. When the girls were growing up, we enjoyed some vacations that included a trip to a theme park. And I think we can say uh, in our family that the Disney theme parks were always our favorites. Um, I remember the first time that we took the girls to the Magic Kingdom. Elsie and I made the plans, set the calendar, reserved the motel room, paid for the tickets, bought the clothes that they were going to take, packed the clothes that they were going to take. We paid for the food they ate. All they had to do was enjoy the magic kingdom. We ask them only one thing, and that is, girls, stick close to us when we're in the magic kingdom, and everything will be fine. If we ever get separated from you, our joy will suddenly turn to panic and fear And worse. Now someday folks. We are not headed to the magic kingdom. We are headed to the majestic kingdom. And God has everything taken care of. He's made the plans. He's set the calendar. He's provided our needs on the journey there. And he's even paid our entrance fee. With the blood of his own son. At the cross of Calvary. It's what a father does for his children. You see. It's what parents do for their kids. You see. And if we parents will be so kind to our kids, imagine how much greater our Heavenly Father will be to us, His children. God just asks one thing of us. He says, stick close to me. Stick close to me. Because if we ever lose sight of God the Father, our joy will be turned to fear and worry, anxiety and worse. Seek Him first. And in the most unexpected ways, at the most unusual times, with the most surprising results, God will not only respond to our needs, he will pour out even greater blessings than you can possibly imagine. Life isn't velvet, but God is God, and his promises are true. We're going to trust him and be grateful. We're getting ready to receive our morning offering this morning, and I'm just simply gonna ask you to do two things with me as we give today. First one is this, make sure that what you're giving is an expression of your gratitude. Do it gratefully. And the second thing is, give in trust, knowing that God will take care of all of our needs. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know that you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.